0: Hello friends, happy Tuesday. You're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest. I'm Annie Porter and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, Jack Tyson, and of course, Father Jim Blunt from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And today we're gonna talk about living in the divine will. But first, we have to finish up with our Marian apparitions from last week. And before that, we all know, we have to start in prayer. So, Father Jim, would you lead us in an opening prayer?
1: Sure, beloved. Let's let's go ahead and pray the Hail Holy Queen, since we're discussing Mary's regal apparitions. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we yearn for the day when every Christian of every denomination in the world will love your mother with a pure, holy, and divine love. On behalf of all Christians, we now pray for the world as we say, Hail, Amen. Holy Amen. Queen, Mother Amen. of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To Thee do we cry, Poor Banished Children of Eve. To Thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, Most Gracious Advocate, Thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this, our exile show unto us and show unto the human race the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, most holy Holy Mother Mother of of God, God,
2: that that we may be made
0: worthy of the promises of Christ.
1: Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
2: Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners,
0: spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love
3: over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
1: Lord Jesus, we entrust this broadcast to you and to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your mother. We entrust to you also all of our family members for their salvation. And we entrust the entire human race now, beautiful Lord Jesus, to you through the heart of Mary and the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
3: Amen. 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 We are happy to have you with us today, Father, and we we had a good time just ahead of the show, a little pre-show warm-up, and uh, Father said, you guys have your seatbelts on. We're going to have a good show today, (laughs) so we're excited about that. Today we're discussing Louisa Picoretta, who is known as the little daughter of divine will. Some of you may know about her. Uh, Many of us uh, listening today want to do God's will, but the discernment process to know God's will is sometimes difficult for us. So we're anxious to kind of dive down into that with Father today. But I've got a couple of, of, of things first. Um, something uh, came to me as we were prepping for the show, and uh, Annie was uh, getting things set up uh, to reach Father. Uh, there's someone on our team that has been with us since the very first show in March, and she's kind of a silent angel and carol works with her the most and her name is tessie she has has uh, been someone in the background who helps do so much for us for every single show so we would just like to say thank you to her and uh, everyone who's listening right now if you could just raise your eyes up to heaven and say thank you god for tessie because if you enjoy listening to father blunt and the team um, she has a lot to do with that in the background so thank you tessie Thank you, Tessie. Tessie. Thanks, Tessie. (laughs) And
1: just so your team knows, ladies and gentlemen, that Tessie is my beloved um, head secretary, the head of my office in Georgia. I'm actually speaking from Philadelphia. But if it wasn't for Tessie, this could actually not have happened. She's my my head secretary and the, uh, the saintly leader of my office team. And her beautiful sister Corazon is my little bookkeeper. And Corazon is extremely faithful as well. And I love my team. We have a few others as well. Miss Laura is part of the team, and my beautiful sister Susan is part of my team. And I want to tell you, I have a team unlike any other. All of us work hard, but none of us get paid. I have a vow of poverty, and my team, none of us gets paid for what we do. We work full-time because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And my team, they're a prayer warriors. I think every one of us prays a minimum of four hours a day. So, yes, it's a shout out to Miss Tessie and my whole team that we love you and we thank you for your service. And may God one day bring you straight to heaven to perfect joy. May he keep you safe today. Amen. Amen. Amen.
3: Thank you for that, Father. And I don't know if you recall, but uh, last week we were talking about, we ended the show talking about different apparitions, and you asked us all to uh, kind of go around the room and talk about which apparition, which Marian apparition is our favorite. And Annie and I went first, and Annie's favorite was La Salette's, and mine was Medjugorje. And uh, I think Carol and Jack still uh, hadn't uh, shared theirs yet. So if we've got a, a, a few minutes, that's okay with you we would love to share that today so everybody gets the chance to share their favorite apparition today.
1: Very good. That's kind of fun.
4: Yeah. Well, thanks Steph. I'll, I'll I'll kick it off and and father this one's going to be uh familiar. You you talked a lot about it last week and that's uh and that's Fatima. And okay. uh you did you did mention that there's a you know a, a film out now, a movie out now and I think everybody in the room has seen it and loved it. So for anybody out there listening today, if you, if you haven't seen it, it's on Prime Video and probably other places where it can be rented. It's, it's really awesome. You're, you're just flat out going to love it. And, um, and actually, that, that brings back a, a, a memory. And uh, the reason I selected Fatima was it was the first apparition that was taught to me by my mother. And I remember we watched, I think it was the movie that came out in 1952 or 53, somewhere in there. And, um, and she sort of told us the, uh, the story as little kids. And it, what it led into was her teaching us how to pray the rosary. So, so that's how, to, how it all sort of started. And then if you fast forward uh, several decades, um, uh, my wife went through RCIA in two, uh, 2008. And when she discovered the story of Fatima, it has made an enormous change in her life. So that's why Fatima is so, uh, so special to me.
1: Yes, that's a, a very beautiful and, of course, a deep attachment you would have that, that the love of your life, your beautiful wife, that she is, is moved and deepened in her faith walk because of Our Lady Fatima. So I can see how it would be invaluable to you, Jack. Well, I also love this particular apparition of Our Lady Fatima, and we discussed it last week, but there's a couple of things I think we should share with our, our beautiful listeners. Uh, and the first is, um, if they get onto the computer, and you know, we have to be very careful with the computer nowadays, that's for sure, because it has become an instrument of manipulation and even of, even of impurity and of sinfulness, so be very careful with the media, very careful. But if you do get on the internet, you can look up Our Lady Fatima. Because there are photographs available. How frequently do we see actual photographs of actual saints? And you can see real photographs of Jacinta and Francisco, two of the children from Fatima who are now canonized. And Lucia, who's now, I think, a servant of God on her way to becoming, we believe, canonized, the older cousin. There's also photographs of the miracle of the, appar- the apparition or the dancing of the sun there in October the 13th, 1917. There are photographs there because uh, newsmen came from all over Portugal to be there at the prophesied miracle. And to be, to be um, accurate, many newsmen came there as atheists and agnostics in order to make fun of the Roman Catholic faith, to make fun of the Church. And they themselves were absolutely flabbergasted and stunned and were converted to the Roman Catholic faith when they saw themselves the sun move out of the sky, turn different colors like blue and purple, dance in the sky, and then hurtle down to the ground as if the world was coming to an end. It was the most spectacular public miracle in the history of the world the most spectacular one, a direct fruit, of course, of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is all-powerful, and the prayers of His Holy Mother. So there are photographs available on the internet of the miracle of the sun, and that you see the whole crowd there kneeling down in prayer, and then in awe, and then in fear. And so this is really fabulous and very interesting. There are also news accounts. There are uh, publications and pictures of newspapers from the next day, from October 14, 1917, in Portugal, where even atheistic or liberal newspapers publish full accounts of the miracle. It absolutely stunned, you might say, all of Portugal, which remains Catholic to this day. So to be aware of that is tremendous amount of historical evidence around Fatima, tremendous, it's, it's irrefutable. And I thought Jack I should mention this too. Probably the team knows this, but why did Our Lady appear at Our Lady of Fatima? Who is Fatima or Fatima in world history? Team, do you happen to know who that is in world history? Who is who is the lady called Fatima?
5: Is
3: it Our Lady or Name for Our Name for Our lady? No, was it a Queen that was named for Our Lady? Or Very princess? good.
1: Well, it's a princess, so to speak. Fatima, believe it or not, and it might be – make sure now you're ready for this. Fatima was the daughter of the prophet Muhammad, the founder of the Islamic faith.
5: Wow. Mm -hmm.
1: That was his actual daughter. And uh, she was considered a princess, and she was greatly loved by Muhammad and greatly loved to this day by the Islamic people. And it's one reason, another reason why they love the Virgin Mary so much. The Muslims love Our Lady. And Bishop Fulton J. Sheen, and let me put it this way, is venerable Bishop Fulton J. Sheen, whose all of his writings have been scrutinized by the Church and approved. So the door is open for his beatification and his canonization. Bishop Fulton J. Sheen said that one day through Our Lady of Fatima, the entire Muslim world will be converted to the Roman Catholic faith. Wow. (sighs) That's a prophecy from a saint. He's not the only one, by the way. Several canonized saints have said this. But what's so fascinating is that when the Lord decided to send his most holy mother, down to the earth in 1917, because, you see, World War I had started, and it was, it was devastating for the world. We were plunging into hopelessness, really because of our sinfulness, and the Lord sent his spotless mother. Of all the countries in the world team, he picked one of the smallest nations on the face of the earth, Portugal, one of the smallest nations in the entire world to this day. But that wasn't enough. He didn't send Mama to Lisbon, he could have sent her to one of the a few big cities there in Portugal, like Lisbon, Portugal. No, 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 no. He did not send Mama to one of the big cities or the capital of Portugal. He sent Mama into the middle of nowhere. So, in the smallest country, one of the smallest countries in the world, he sends her to one of the smallest cities in the world. But no, they're not even cities, they're not even towns, they are villages. And there are five villages in that area, five little villages in the middle of nowhere, not cities, not towns, little, tiny, you might call them hamlets. And the Lord sent his mama to the smallest country, to the smallest hamlet, the smallest little village in the smallest country. There's five, and he chose one, and the name of that little tiny hamlet that he chose is Fatima. Now, let me ask you, do you think God made a boo-boo?
3: You probably named it Fatima before everything happened, right? Knew that's what was going to happen. Oh, yeah.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's just simply incredible that God would send His Holy Mother, who's loved by the Muslim people, to a little hamlet in the middle of nowhere in one of the smallest countries in the world. I mean, maybe the angel dropped her in the wrong place. Maybe she's supposed to appear at the next little hamlet over. no no she appeared in fatima and we call her our lady of fatima and it was our lady of mohammed's daughter
5: Isn't that something?
1: now this is fascinating and just to share that with your beloved listeners that in the end beloved in the end there will be one faith there'll be one church one religion and one faith on the earth not because of us because we are nothing we all are nothing it's because of jesus christ because he alone deserves our honor our worship our glory and our praise because his blood alone his blood alone can forgive us of our sins and because jesus christ is the one name the one name the only name given to the entire human race by which we can be saved amen amen Amen. it's simply true and so that will be publicly known very, very soon. And what a joy. What a joy. See, I love my brothers, my Muslim brothers and sisters. If you love your Muslim friends, then you will desire for them only what is best. And there's nothing more pure, more beautiful, more powerful, and more salvific than knowing the name of Jesus Christ and receiving his Holy Spirit beginning at baptism. And so we pray that one day soon, this prophecy, one day soon will be fulfilled, that the entire Muslim world and all the other religions will have the surpassing joy of knowing and loving Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Alleluia. Alleluia.
2: Alleluia. Alleluia.
1: I think Mary was referring to this team when she said, what, in the end, she said, my immaculate heart will triumph, she said, not coexist triumph. My Immaculate Heart, in which Jesus Christ reigns supreme, will triumph, and an era of peace, not man's peace, my Son's peace, an era of divine peace will come upon the human race. Alleluia.
5: Alleluia.
2: Oh, Father, this is just so powerful, all these apparitions, and we get a better understanding of our Blessed Mother, and, and just the depth of, uh, of her love for us by appearing in so many different places in so many different ways. But my favorite, uh, apparition again, like Jack's sort of, uh, dates back to, uh, probably when I was in elementary school and I still remember, I guess if we were reading a book that had would very, very vivid images of our lady of Guadalupe, uh, appearing to Juan Diego and, um, her giving him a message to go to the bishop or go to the priest and, then of course, as often is the case, these simple people nobody believes them. And so then the Blessed Mother comes in for the for the final confirmation. And uh I still remember the picture of Juan Diego's Tilma and when the roses fall out and he was astounded and then obviously I believe it was the bishop saw the image on the inside of his Tilma. And I'm getting chill bumps just thinking about it. So she's so she's so beautiful and she does um so, does so many things for us, but what a beautiful image, uh, how she was going to, uh, I guess, triumph and, and let everyone know that Juan Diego had told the absolute truth mm-hmm. about her. Mm-hmm. So what can you share about Guadalupe, Father?
1: Yes, it's it's one of my favorites, too. I've actually, I've had the joy of being there quite a few times. And The last time I was there, I joined a pilgrimage group from Central America I flew from the U.S. and I met them there in Mexico and um, helped to lead a pilgrimage there. And the day I was leaving, I had to get up early, and I went straight to the basilica early in the morning and was able to say Mass at the main altar there at Our Lady of Guadalupe. It was about 6 in the morning, so there was almost nobody there at that moment. And it's right underneath that tilma. And one of the most amazing things team, about the tilma is that it's made out of straw. It's cactus straw. And this is simply um, not just a scientific fact. It's just like a a practical fact. The tilmas, some some of them still make those today, but in like the small, very isolated villages, they make a tilma. or It's like a raincoat, a tilma, or it's like a a windbreaker jacket that falls in front and behind you. And, you know, the tilmas, they normally last maximum 20 years, absolute maximum. Um, They tend to fall apart after a few years if you wear them every day. I mean, just think of it, if you had a a dress or a blouse made out of straw, handmade, it's not going to last that long. (laughs) It's amazing. You you see, like, the preservation uh, that we will receive in heaven, like sort of like eternal preservation in our youthfulness. We see that on the tilma. It has the image of the queen of youthfulness, the Virgin Mary. It refuses to get old. Like we discussed last week, Mary is younger than sin. She never gets old and her clothes never get old. And that tilma is still young and fresh. And several scientists, and of course several lay people too, have documented this, that the image there on the original tilma, which is hanging there for everyone to see in the Basilica in Mexico, it actually seems to be getting brighter. I'm sorry, I've been there too. It's not getting dimmer or staying the same. It seems to be a little bit brighter as time goes on. Would you give me a break? (laughs) This is incredible. This is like a a living, physical, lasting, permanent miracle. Uh Beloved, forgive me. How in the world can anyone not believe in Mary? How can anyone not believe in God? You just have to look up Our Lady of Guadalupe. And there's several beautiful books, even recently, about this apparition and about the tilma itself. So the tilma is fresh and young and beautiful. And in case you don't know this, I mean, team, you and our listeners, you need to know this. And this is why no one—you can't study Guadalupe and not believe in God. For instance, the painting on the tilma is not composed of any pigment or paint or any substance known to the human race. Hmm. We don't know what it's made of. Scientists with PhDs have no idea how that image is on the tilma. It's not paint. It's not pigment. It's nothing known to science. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now this is true. This is a, this is a, a whole buffy of scientists. They have studied this. They're the ones who are telling us this. But here's something more. Make sure you have your seatbelts on right now. <laughs> the the image there on the Tilma, as they study it with these new electron microscopes, so they can blow it up like a thousand or ten thousand times. The image is not attached to the straw. It's actually floating above the cactus straw, about one millionth of a millimeter. It does not touch the straw itself. The image, according to the PhDs, is floating. It's not touching. It's floating microscopically over the tilma.
5: Really? Amazing.
1: (laughs) This is from scientists. This is not from you know what I mean, like homeless people the people who are uneducated who we also love? This is from men who, and women who make their money with their PhDs. Mm. So we need to be aware of this. And even more throughout the whole image are amazing messages and scientific phenomena, for instance, in Mary's eyes. One of, my, one of my neighbors years ago when I was a teenager, her uncle was the scientist who examined the eyes of the tilma. And he, he blew them up in size, again, with the electron uh, microscope. And he discovered, first of all, that the eyes are not painted flat. The eyes are concave. In other the eyes on the image are curved, just like your pupil or mine. Amazing. Now, this is something incredible. They're curved. Can you still hear me, team?
5: Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, We're stunned. Okay. Yeah. We're stunned. Tightening our seat I'm goes. in the basement of
1: my aunt's house in Philadelphia, so to make sure that the message is getting through.
5: <laughs> We're
3: Routing. here. We're well, stunned.
1: And my, my beautiful Aunt Cassie, i call out to my beautiful aunt. She's 92 years old and the mother of 16 children.
5: Wow.
3: Wow. Oh, I bet she loves having
4: you there.
1: I think she does, but I love being here. To me, it's like a little shrine.
4: Mm -hmm. What's for dinner, Aunt Cassie?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. She's Italian. Look out. (laughs) Well, and my beautiful cousin Chrissy, whose condominium, whose house this is. And they love these subjects, too. In fact, my Aunt Catherine has started a community rosary in '92. She sent out invitations to more than 100 people, and her friends and our friends and relatives, they all, they tune in together, and they say a rosary together every day. My aunt said, it's the only answer to the violence, so she started a family rosary. There's over 100 people praying it now with her every day.
3: That's beautiful. Yeah. What, a,
1: what a marvelous person. What
3: an example. So here
1: in, in this house and in our family, we are in love with the Virgin Mary, and Our Lady Guadalupe, it sort of takes the cake, so to speak. And in Mary's concave eyes, they're they're just like our human eyes. They're curved. As he blew up the pupil, the scientist, he discovered in the center of Mary's eyes a photograph. There's a painting or a photograph in both pupils, in both eyes. And we see uh, through her eyes the image of a bishop.
5: Oh.
1: And the bishop turns out to be the very bishop. We have one painting of that bishop in the world. Back from those days There's one painting of him. The image in Mary's eyes of that bishop match the painting of the bishop we have that Juan Diego met at that time.
5: Wow. Oh my wow. goodness. What a
3: contrast. This is
1: something incredible. You see the bishop, and he's, he's like kneeling down stunned because here's something about the image, again, that most Christians may not know this. That when Juan Diego opened his tilma to show the bishop, he was going to show the bishop the roses that he had gathered in Mexico City in December, in the winter, in the snow, on top of a mountain. There are no roses in Mexico in the winter, on top of the mountain, in the snow. Zero roses, of course. And the thing is the roses were not Mexican roses, they were Castilian roses. These were roses from Spain where the bishop was born. There are no Castilian <sighs> roses that grow in Mexico. <sighs> and that was before we had 747s to, to fly flowers across the ocean. So there were he didn't order this from a flower service. They were growing there in the snow roses from Spain. And the bishop saw that. And Juan Diego thought this was the great miracle, and it was indeed a great miracle. But look how great God is greater than great. So when they opened up his tilma and the roses cascaded to the ground in front of the bishop, suddenly, at that moment, the painting began to be painted on the tilma in the presence of the bishop. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. It wasn't already there, like we, we probably read in some stories. It was not there. Only when the roses fell to the ground and Juan Diego's tilma was opened, suddenly an image began to appear on the tilma, and in front of the holy bishop, the painting was completed in front of
3: him. <laughs> he asked for proof, and he got it, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Wow. So these are some of the things about Guadalupe, and just here is something that's, that I find theologically so profound. Team, does anybody there, do you know what the name Guadalupe actually translates into in English? Do you know what the name
3: actually means?
5: No. No. I don't think so. What about, the?
3: okay, so Tepiac. Is it Tepiac? Is that the hill? Or? I know that's something. the hill
5: okay, okay, where the so,
1: apparition occurred.
5: Okay. Hmm.
1: But Guadalupe, the name that Our Lady, that's the name that the bishop and, of course, the missionaries who were there, they called her Our Lady of Guadalupe because that's Juan Diego was sharing with the team there what she had said. But here's the thing. Juan Diego and Our Lady spoke in Aztec. They did not speak in Spanish. Mm -hmm. They spoke in the Aztec language. There is no word Guadalupe in Aztec. In fact, Our Lady said something different, but it sounded like that to the Spanish ears of the bishop and the other helpers. These were Franciscan missionaries, you see, from mm-hmm. Spain. Uh, he said something that was Aztec that sounded like that. It actually, in the Aztec language, it began with the letters C O A X Quax. So I'm not just I'm just transliterating a little bit. It's, it was sounded something like this Quaxalupe. It was an Aztec word, and the closest thing to that in Spanish was Guadalupe. And so the the bishop called it Guadalupe. That's that's what he thought he heard, but Mary spoke in Aztec. There is no Guadalupe in Aztec. It's more like Quaxalupe. And you know what Quaxalupe actually means? No. It means she who crushes the head of the serpent. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) This is what the name actually means. Perhaps the greatest physical miracle in the history of the world, Our Lady Guadalupe, and her, the name given to her by the Holy Spirit, she who crushes the head of the serpent. And that is a biblical verse. That's Genesis three fifteen and 16. That's straight from the word of God. This is the woman, the Virgin Mary who, through her son, Jesus Christ, will definitively crush the head of the serpent in each of our lives and in the entire world soon. Her victory is coming soon, and that's why her image is getting brighter.
2: Oh, that's beautiful, Father. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Wow.
3: How carefully that was planned. I mean, so detailed. Yeah. Well,
0: guys. God is truly great. That is. Amen.
3: Amen.
0: (laughs) It's time for a quick break, but you're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station. Stay tuned. AM
2: 1160 The Quest is listening to you too. One listener shared. Every time I get in my car, I turn on The Quest, and it seems to always address whatever is on my heart that day. God is really speaking to me through this station. Thank you so much for bringing a message of truth and hope into my life and to so many others across Atlanta. If you're enjoying the station, please consider supporting us with a donation. Go online to thequestatlanta.com. Please join us in a parent's prayer to St. Monica. St. Monica, patron of Christian mothers, we entrust to your protection the children whose names you can read in our hearts. Pray for them that they may be granted strength to combat weakness. Give them victory over temptations guidance to resolve their doubts, and success in all their undertakings. May they enjoy health of mind and body, see beauty and worth in all created things, and serve the Lord with firm faith, joyful hope, and enduring love. Amen.
0: Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, and Jack Tyson. And on the phone, we have Father Jim Blunt with us. And Father Jim, we've all said what our favorite Marian apparitions were. And so now we think it's time for you to tell us yours. Yes.
5: Wow.
1: Thank you. Um, I love all of them. Uh, because I'm in love with my mother, I'm in love with Our Lady, and I, I pray that all of us will begin to love Mary with the love of Jesus Christ, with her own son's love. But to answer your question, that because it's really hard for me because I love all of them, but there's one in particular that always reverberates when I pray about it, when I look at it, when I think about it. And I had the chance to go there in person, finally, with my good brother, Father Anthony, just last year. And her name is Knock, Our Lady of Knock mm-hmm. in oh, yeah. Ireland. Oh, my gosh. Talk about knock-knock. Who's there? God. <laughs> <laughs> Who's there? God. That's a knock-knock from heaven. Yes, Our oh, Lady of Nog. And for the first time, I've had a chance to go there in person, there to, Italy, to Ireland with my brother. It was an extraordinary experience to be there. But those are apparitions back in about the, in the 1800s as well, in the later 1800s, around 1870, if I remember correctly, approximately. And Our Lady um, appeared, listen, not just to one person, Mary and St. Joseph and St. John the Evangelist appear to an entire city. Knock is a a city or a village there in Ireland, and this is one of the most extraordinary apparitions. They're all extraordinary, but then it's it's about the creme de la creme. There are some that are just so far beyond. Mary and St. Joseph and St. John the Evangelist and the Lord Jesus Christ, in the form of a lamb, the Lamb of God, standing on, an, on a Catholic altar, the four of these appeared to the village of Nock, back in Ireland in the late 1800s. And they remained there. The vision lasted for, they say, close to three hours, more than two hours. They remained visible as figures of light. They were made out of translucent light clearly visible, I mean, with great detail. And the whole village saw this. I mean, they, one would sort of ran to grab the other. They'd grab the other one. They all would run up to look at Mother Mary. And some of them, like a teenage boy, went right up to the apparition, just like a kid would do, and try to put his hand on one of the figures, and his hand went through the figure. Oh. And they stood there in light with great peacefulness for several hours, and there there seemed to be a message, even the name, again, why did God choose a village named Knock? Would you give me a break? Jesus <laughs> said, ask, right? You shall receive, seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. Would you give me a break? It's very clear what he's doing. We need to knock on heaven's door. And a good place to begin is to look up the apparitions of Our Lady in Knock, Ireland, fully approved by the Holy Catholic Church. Even St. Padre Pio uh, has a role to play in the making of the statues that were there. That's another story for another day. But Padre Pio was involved, too, in the shrine as we have it there today. But you know was so interesting about this apparition, first of all, that, my goodness, St. John the Evangelist appeared. St. John the Evangelist was there with Our Lady for several hours. And, team, guess what he was wearing. Can you take a wild guess what St. John the Evangelist was wearing?
4: No idea. <laughs> Sackcloth? Or...
1: That's a good guess, Jack. Yeah. Uh, he was actually wearing a chasuble. He was dressed as a Catholic bishop.
5: Oh, okay. Oh.
1: With a mitre. I mean, this is something stunning. With a crozier, as too, by the way, a crozier as well, the bishop's little staff. So he appeared as a Roman Catholic bishop,
5: yeah.
1: and, and it shows you there that uh, in this, the, this revelation of Knoth, which mirrors the book of Revelation, it, it's, it's showing you uh, that truly the Catholic Church is the church that Jesus started, that John was with Mother Mary on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. What church is that? It's the Holy Catholic Church. Do we love the other churches? You bet we love them. We want them to stay separated. You bet not. We want all the churches to come together as one glorious church in the kingdom of the divine will, circled around the Eucharist, even Baptist, worshiping God with their full glory and joy with all their hearts together as one church. Amen.
5: Amen. Amen.
1: That's what we long for, but only God can do it and God will do it. All of us united as one church and one shepherd. That's what God has prophesied. So there is Our Lady with John the Evangelist dressed as a Catholic bishop. And here's what's so interesting. He has in his, one of his hands the Bible. He has an open Bible in his hand. So what does that tell you? We Catholics, we better get back to the Bible. We should be Bible Christians too. It's our book. And I thank God that the Protestants ran with it. You see, we dropped it. They picked it up. When, when we drop something, God will give that gift to other churches. We drop the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charismatic gifts. What did God do? He raised up the Pentecostals. And they're using the Catholic gifts of the Holy Spirit because we refuse to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, it's very interesting, but this is how God works. He, he said in Sacred Scripture, his gifts will not return to heaven unfulfilled. When he sends a gift, it must be used. If you don't use it, he'll give it to somebody else. Our Lady even said that at the Miraculous Medal apparitions to Catherine Laboree. And so here uh, we see this Catholic bishop, this apostle, St. John the Evangelist, who was the great lover of Mary. Mary lived in his house and went to Mass with St. John daily. There is St. John with her, dressed in his bishop's robes, with a Bible in his hand. And the Bible is opened, and his other hand is, is up in the air, and it's like he's preaching. There's no question he's, he's in a position of preaching the gospel, straight from the Bible, not from social studies. He's not he's preaching psychology. He's preaching the Word of God inspired and revealed in the Bible. Amen? Amen. Yeah, amen. Now, what's v- so interesting is this, that it is precisely there in the book of Revelation. Who wrote the book of Revelation in the Holy Bible?
3: St. John. St.
1: John. That's the saint who's there. And my guess is maybe the Bible is open to the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And what does Revelation describe in chapter 12, verse 1? A lady clothed with a son. And who's standing next to him but a woman dressed in the sun. She's shining with the light of the sun. She's standing next to St. John. And it seems to be he's preaching about the book of Revelation. And what does he talk about in the book of Revelation? Also the Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. And who's behind him to his left? Jesus as the Lamb of God on the altar. Oh, my heavens. And this, this apparition is absolutely phenomenal, approved by the Catholic Church. It appears that John has opened the book of Revelation. He's preaching about Revelation 12.1. Behind him is Jesus, the Lamb of God. As if to tell the world, knock, knock, are you listening? The <laughs> book of Revelation has opened. Hmm. And that's what it seems to be saying. Church, be ready. Church, we need to awaken. The book of Revelation has opened. It has begun. And I'll tell you one more beautiful thing is, to the right of the Holy Virgin Mother of God stands St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. And now, why I find this so intriguing is this, because St. Teresa of Avila and many other saints said this, that in the final days, St. Joseph will finally arise to his proper place of respect in the Holy Catholic Church in the final days. Well, the rest of the Revelation appears to be the the book of – the rest of the apparition appears to be the book of Revelation, which you know, details, if not the final days, the final ages of the church. So there we see Mary and John and the Lamb of God, but then there's this fourth saint there, Joseph who has a role to play in the final age of the Church. And there is there with this description and this miraculous apparition of the book of the Apocalypse. There is Joseph, the saint who's meant to arise in the final days. Mamma mia! Mm, boy. This is an amazing apparition. It's stunningly beautiful. And it's it's very, very, in itself, They're they're quiet. Joseph, Mary, and St. John, and the Lamb, They never spoke a word to any of the townspeople. They were completely quiet. And by the way, this occurred on the gable of the church, of the village church. It's like right outside the church is where this occurred. And what's not well known is that the Monsignor, the um, pastor of that church in Knock, is known to have been a saint, a saintly priest. And he had just finished that night, Right before the apparition started, he had done a novena of 100 masses in a row. 100 days in a row, he offered 100 masses, the Lamb of God on the altar, 100 masses in a row for all the holy souls in purgatory because that was the time of the Irish famine. And millions of Irishmen died of starvation in the potato famine that was, by the way, planned and manipulated by another country. So he offered 100 Masses in a row. The night the his novena ended, Mary and St. John, St. Joseph, and the Lamb of God himself appeared outside the Church on the other side of the wall where the altar of the Mass was located. Wow. This is Our Lady of Nog. We don't know a whole lot about it in this country, but it seems to be a wake-up call. It's a knock-knock to the Universal Church. That the book of Revelation has opened, and don't don't you dare be afraid. It's St. John himself who said, do not live in fear, little flock. We are living in a unique age of the church. It's stunningly beautiful. And what is this age? It's the age of the impending victory. There is a victory coming to the human race. And it more or less, you might say, is being prophesied here more more than 150 years ago. And now with this new saint, the servant of God, Luisa Picaretta, God is continuing this, you might say, revelation or unfolding of his plan for the human race. But team, that's one of my favorites. It always makes my heart burn. I don't even, don't even know why. There's something so pure about this apparition. They never spoke a word. They were creatures made out of light. If the townspeople saw them throughout the whole village for more than two hours— Several of them came up and touched these, these figures, and their hands went through them, approved by the church, which seems to have a stunning, stunning message. No words spoken at all. The vision speaks for itself. It's almost like it's saying loudly to the human race, it has begun. Mm-hmm. It has begun.
3: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. You taught us a lot more about knock Yeah, I think we needed a harness, not a seatbelt today. (laughs) That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Well, you know, we do want to talk about the writings of Louisa, Louisa Picoretta, servant of God. And our goal is really to learn more about divine will and kind of how to apply those teachings to our own lives. But we are wondering if maybe we could start with some background on her. Maybe you could provide some background information, the story of Louisa's life, and maybe how Jesus first appeared to her and what he's asked of her. And we can go from there. Does that sound okay?
1: Yes. She's called, of course, the little daughter of the divine will, And she seems to be the recipient of of the greatest um, private revelation in the history of the world, bar none, without exception. The theologians who have studied her writings say categorically it's the highest mystical theology in the 2,000-year history of the Catholic Church. And our listeners want to know that all 36 volumes of the book, it's called The Book of Heaven. Who titled it? The Lord Jesus Christ titled the book. He told us, you are to call this the Book of Heaven, and it has received the imprimatur, not only from the local bishop, and that's what the church looks for first, is the local bishop there in Carato, Italy. The local bishop must study it himself and assign certain experts like theologians and psychologists to study the works thoroughly. So the local bishop gave the, the imprimatur to all 36 volumes. They're not big volumes, by the way. They're not 36 huge volumes. They're on the small side. They are extraordinary. They have a complete approval of the Church. But here's what's very interesting, too, just so your, our listeners feel rest assured. All 36 volumes were then submitted to the Vatican a few years ago because the cause of Louisa's canonization was opened, and the bishop declared her a servant of God, That's called the diocesan level. And then he sent all the paperwork and all the volumes to the Vatican. The Vatican assigned two new theologians whose names remained anonymous, at least at that time. And they were to go through all 36 volumes again at the request of the Holy Father, the Vatican itself. And they went through all 36 volumes line by line. And guess what? Now all 36 volumes have a second imprimatur from the Vatican and our people need to know this and I'm glad they did that because these are these writings are so extraordinary extraordinary in what extraordinary in the sense first of all of beauty they may be the most beautiful writings in the history of the entire human race next to the Bible itself and maybe in union with the Bible the most beautiful writings these 36 volumes they now have a double imprimatur Louisa was born in 1865 And she lived through the 20th century, so to speak. She died in 1947, and she was a a single Catholic laywoman, a single Catholic. She wanted to be a, a nun, and her mother really was opposed to that. But the Lord began appearing to her at a very early age, even in her teenage years, and assured her that her vocation would be fulfilled. And we'll talk about that shortly. But Louisa, she received what theologians call the mystical union. And you read about this, of course, in St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. It's a consistent teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that all of us are called to the mystical life. We are called to the contemplative life. We are called, in other words, to deep prayer and union with God. And anyone, including a teenager, any Catholic can go to the highest levels of the spiritual life. Even St. John Paul reiterated that teaching, that every single Catholic can reach the highest levels of the spiritual life. And John Paul said you could even do it simply through the rosary, that you can reach the highest levels. Well, this beautiful teaching of the mystical union, where you're more or less transformed within, this is something that St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, and by the way, Catherine of Siena too, these three greatest of the greatest of the saints, Doctors of the church, they all received this gift right before they died as a culmination of their prayer life. Well, guess what? Louisa received it when she was 17 years old.
5: Hmm.
1: She received the grace of the mystical union at the age of 17. So you better say, uh-oh, because God is up to something. Amen. 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 Now, this is something extraordinary, I mean, absolutely extraordinary in the history of the Church and in the history of scientific theology, that a teenager received the highest possible grace of the spiritual life. This is affirmed by theologians with PhDs. And that was just the beginning. That's just the beginning of what God had planned for her. And the good Lord asked Louisa at at that time, 17, would you be willing to, to so to speak, be paralyzed, to be sick, and to stay in bed for the rest of your life so that I can give you a gift for the world. She said yes. And listeners, Louisa was confined to her bed and could not get out of her bed for 65 years.
3: Wow. Wow. It's
5: amazing.
1: She stayed in bed for 65 years. She did not need to eat anything. She had no need of food or even water. She subsisted on the Eucharist most of those years. Several times when her spiritual director, and by the way, Luisa did not choose her spiritual director, her bishop chose him every time. Her first spiritual director, Father Annabel, he's now Saint Annabel. Her first spiritual director, a Roman Catholic priest in Carato, Italy, chosen only by the bishop, was canonized by St. John Paul the Great. This is highly unusual. So her spiritual director is now a canonized saint. I have his first-class relic with me by the loving providence of God. I touched it to a man with heart problems last year in California. He was scheduled for open-heart surgery the following week. His heart was healed on the spot. immediately his heart was healed in front of he and I, which was confirmed by the doctors. That was through the first class relic of Louisa's spiritual director, St. Annabelle. So St. Annabelle was assigned to be her spiritual director there as a very young girl. And as he listened to her writings and uh, to her teachings, and he helped to write some of them down, by the way, he was overwhelmed by the majesty of the revelations that Louisa received. And he himself gave the imprimatur. So the first imprimatur of the first writings of Louisa were given by canonized saint, Saint Annabel. So this is something so reliable. It's is, is, is beyond the beyond. And I mentioned that on purpose because several people have written to me like in distress. Father, uh, my pastor says all of this is poo-poo. All of this is, no, are you kidding me? This is probably the most approved, most authorized private revelation in the entire history of the Catholic Church. The most approved, the most stunning, the most beautiful. And they continue to be so. Louisa was confined to a bed. She only lived on the Eucharist, and a couple of times her spiritual daughter, like Saint Annabel and a few others commanded her to eat like a regular person. So they ordered out to Burger King and got her a waffle with cheese and French fries. <laughs> No kidding. She couldn't when she would eat them in obedience, she would regurgitate the food later. But not as like all crumbled up and chewed up. Whatever she would eat in obedience to the spiritual order, she didn't eat it. It would come back up perfectly formed with the smell of roses, the smell of
3: heaven. Oh my goodness.
1: This is this has been certified by Catholic priests who were there. Mm unbelievable. If you really couldn't keep it down, we'd call it not. wouldn't come up regurg- regurgitated, you know what I mean, and like mm-hmm. filthy or all that stuff. Uh-uh. It came back perfectly constituted and smelling like heaven. The room would smell like roses from heaven when someone would hold that little piece of pure, clean, pristine food in their hands. Now, oh. beloved, this is something phenomenal. Yes. More than that, She couldn't get out of bed, but she lived on the Eucharist. You know what that means? A Catholic priest was assigned to say Mass in her bedroom every day for decades. Mm -hmm. This is the only time, honestly, the only time in the history of the Roman Catholic Church that has been allowed that a Mass could be said in someone's bedroom for years and years on end. Guess who gave the first permission? Who? His name is St. Pope Pius X, the miracle-working pontiff. He gave permission, St. Pope Pius X, gave permission for Mass to be said in the bedroom of Louisa every day, year-round. And guess who confirmed that, who had to extend the permission later? Pope Leo XIII. Oh. So, see, our listeners have to know these things. We have to know them uh, because all kinds of, you know, controversy or gossip. And, and I would say maybe the enemy himself stirs up things against the holy ones. Mm-hmm. My friends, this was a holy woman, to put it most mildly. I pray for the day when she is canonized. She had the permission of two Roman pontiffs. She received the Lord in the Eucharist from Mass in her bedroom, I forget, like 40 years. I forget exactly how many years it was in a row. This has never happened before in the entire history of the church, ever before, to know what kind of person this was. And, you know, people would go to Italy not to see her because they didn't know too much about her, except if she lived in that area. The bishop knew about her. So they go to see Padre Pio, and Padre Pio Saint Padre Pio would say to people, why are you coming to see me? You have a greater saint in your own hometown. Are you out of your mind?
5: <laughs>
1: That's a part of he would say to people, you come to see me, and you're from there? <laughs> he said, give me a break, but he said it in Italian. <laughs> and he would send them back to see Louisa. Now, how's that, you see, for a saintly affirmation of the holiness of this incredible woman of God? So, this is Luisa Picoretta. She's now a servant of God, declared by the Vatican. And by the way, there's a book published by the Vatican. It's called Son of My Will, The Son of My Will. It's a beautiful book. It's one of the few times, again, in the history of the printing press and the history of the church, that the Vatican herself commissioned a book to be written about this new saint. Really?
5: Hmm.
1: This almost – I don't know if this ever happened before, maybe once or twice. The Vatican – you can find it. I actually found it. I was at the Vatican a couple of years ago. It had just come out. It was in the Vatican bookstore. It was there in the bookstore in the Vatican in St. Peter's Square. And so now it's being circulated around the world. There's an official English translation. And that I would recommend to every single one who's listening, including Protestants and anyone else who's listening. This is very, 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 very rare that the Church herself would write a book about a new saint who's not even canonized yet. Wow. The Vatican authorized this, commissioned it, you might say, ordered this. And so there's a beautiful book called Son of My Will. And maybe we can talk about that in a future show. It's not a very big book, but it's it's official and it's beautiful. Mm
5: -hmm.
1: So you can see from all of this that this is an absolutely stunning figure in the history of the Church. And she's just getting known, and she doesn't want any attention at all. By the way, as far as we know, her body is incorrupt, almost certainly, and we'll probably find out for sure very soon. They go to re-examine her body. But what she's concerned about um, are the books that God gave her, living in the divine will. And, beloved, here is the official title. We call the book, because Jesus called it the book of heaven. Oh, my gosh, I mean, even that, coming from the words of our Savior, is significant. The Book of Heaven? But here's the full title that our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave. By the way, this title, given the Savior, was given the imprimatur. This is in her writings, so this, too, was tested and approved by the Holy Roman Catholic Church. So here is the title that Jesus gave, the full title. If you actually buy the book, you can see this on the cover. It says, the kingdom of the Theot in the midst of creatures, the book of heaven, the recall of the creature into the order, to its place, and into the purpose for which he was created by God.
4: That's the title? That's <laughs> the title. Catchy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the title is almost bigger than the book.
5: <laughs>
1: and let me say that again because it it's so rich. It's so pissy. There's so much there. So again, the title that the Lord Jesus Christ dictated to his, the servant of God, Luisa Picaretta, the woman who lived on the Eucharist, I think longer than any other saint in the history of the world, longer than any other saint, here's the title that he gave her. The kingdom of the fiat in the midst of creatures. Now, fiat, means that's Mary's word, fiat, that it be done unto me according to thy word. So this is the mysterious book given to the church by heaven to teach all of the people of the world how to live and do the will of God. Oh, we'll get more to that shortly. It's something stunning. God's going to help you. You don't do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. God's going to give us an incredible grace called living in the divine will, in which the will of God will be done through us and in us, like a supernatural gift. The Lord told Louisa, this will be, This is the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit in world history, the greatest charism we love tongues, we love prophecy, we love miracles. This is above all of those. This is the highest gift of the Holy Spirit living in the divine will. Well, again, here's the title, The Kingdom of the Fiat in the Mist of Creatures, the Book of Heaven, the recall of the creature into the order to its place, And into the purpose for which he was created by God. Amen.
0: Amen. 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 Well, I mean, that
1: title, isn't that amazing? It is amazing, Father, but
0: unfortunately, we are out of time. So, would you please close us in a prayer?
1: I can't. I'm too excited (laughs) (laughs) for another hour. (laughs) I'm starting to burn, and we're going to cut off right now. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So we we give thanks to God for Louisa Picaretta, for St. Pope Pius X, St. Padre Pio, the saintly Pope Leo XIII, who gave full permission and authority to this amazing woman and these amazing works. We thank you, God. All is not lost. In fact, all will be found. All will be regained. The Church will rise to its fullest splendor in the history of creation, and a new grace will come where the whole human race will love Jesus Christ, will receive the Catholic sacraments, will live on the Eucharist, will live in the divine will, and the whole world will love its Creator and do the will of God easily, perfectly, and beautifully, the world itself will be physically renewed. We thank you, Father God, far from forgetting us. You have in advance giving us the blueprint for the world and for the Church, for the human race. Nothing but good is coming. And we consecrate ourselves now, O beautiful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We consecrate ourselves to your divine will through the prayers of Mary. May your kingdom come on earth and in Atlanta and throughout the world as it is done in heaven. May Almighty God bless you with these graces and more. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, you, Father. And thank
5: you to your listeners.
0: We'll be back next week at two o'clock on Tuesday.